The following talk was given by Jeffrey Sugar Arnold Roshi during a Fusatsu ceremony at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shugen Roshi is the head of the Mountains and Rivers Order and abbot of the monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Fusatsu is renewal of vows. And for many of us, it is that, is a renewal of vows that we have taken. For others, it is a renewal of commitments, vows you might have taken personally within yourself. And for others, it's a time to become acquainted with these vows and these teachings. The Buddha realized that to walk this path, we need to live the life as an enlightened being. That's the way it works. Right? We can't live life as a train wreck and then expect and do our meditation and then expect that at some magical moment we'll be enlightened and there will be peace in the world. From the very first breath, from the first awareness, we begin to practice as an awakened being, as a bodhisattva, as a person with a boundless heart, as a person with Buddha mind, and all of the qualities and virtues that a Buddha possesses and we possess. And Fusatsu, the Buddha realized, um, Fusatsu is our way of doing what in the Buddha's time, and still for Theravada monastics, is a coming together and renewing, reflecting on, taking responsibility for things that we've done that were counter to the way, that were working against ourselves and other people, that were not in alignment, so that we can continue to step forward within that responsibility, within that awareness and correcting, if you will, In the Prajnaparamita Sutra of 8,000 lines, Subhuti asked the Buddha, how should a bodhisattva who is only just beginning stand in perfect wisdom? Prajnaparamita, how should they train themselves? A beginning bodhisattva. And the Buddha said, such a bodhisattva should tend, love and honor, good friends. Their good friends are those who will instruct and guide them and perfect wisdom, and who will expound to them its meaning. They will expound it as follows. Come here, good friend. Make endeavors in the six paramitas. Whatever you may have already achieved by way of giving a gift, guarding your morality, perfecting yourself in patience, exertion of vigor, entering into concentration, or mastery in wisdom, turn all of this over into enlightenment. Turn all of this over into the path. But do not misconstrue enlightenment as form, or as any skanda, or as anything. For intangible is this profound knowledge, this profound wisdom. And do not long for the level of a disciple or pratyeka buddha, 
It is thus that a bodhisattva who is just beginning should gradually, through good friends, enter into perfect wisdom. Whatever we might achieve through the practice of the paramita. Somebody asked a question earlier this week about the relationship between the bodhisattva precepts and the paramitas. The precepts really begin with the time of the Buddha, the wholesome actions. And the two wholesome actions on harsh and divisive language really relate to the two precepts on speaking ill of others and elevating self and blaming others. So those precepts, the shila, are how we conduct ourselves, how we clean up our house, right? How we not only put out the fire, but stop building them. How we learn, begin to learn how to live the way I would presume we all actually want to if given a chance, given the right conditions. The paramitas are specifically the practice of a bodhisattva. So they're Mahayana teaching. And the precepts are part of the paramitas, guarding your morality, the Buddha says. And so they work together. And so because the Dharma has been transmitted to our time and place, because we have all of these Dharma centers and teachers and teachings across the country, across the world, we may not always fully appreciate how fortunate we are. We may not always appreciate the gift that we have of being able, of having encountered this Dharma in a time when it was being taught, of having found our way to a place where it was being taught, and to a place where we could learn what practice is and practice and do that together. To appreciate the gift of studying together, of training together, of struggling together. Right? We might not think of that, but actually that we are able to go through this difficult journey, sometimes difficult, <laughs> together. And know that in your own struggles, you are not alone. Not by a long shot. And to remember that those struggles did not begin when you started practicing. And so to appreciate this. And that within all that we have, all of the manifestations of the three treasures, as the Buddha said, to at every step not misconstrue enlightenment or practice or the teachings as having any form or belonging to any of the skandhas. In other words, as being something apart, separate from ourself, something tangible that we would attach to. So from the first step, the teachings guide us to understand and reflect on and practice in accord with the Dharma. And we're kind of conditioned to you know, in making things our own, which actually is important in Buddhism, but what does that mean? To taking something and kind of appropriating it and then turning it, casting it in the form of myself so that it's pleasing and accessible and just sort of fits right into the grooves. 
Rather, we are asked to actually step forward and meet the Dharma on the Dharma's terms. And there we will find ourselves. And understanding that as we practice and realize ourselves, we are not gaining a single thing, that you are not correcting a mistake, you are not repairing something that's broken, you are not obtaining something that you did not have before. It's like water seeking wetness, like the sun seeking warmth, sky looking for space. Sabuti goes on and says, doers, those who do what is hard, what is difficult, are the bodhisattvas who have set out to realize prajnaparamita. Thanks to the practice of the six paramitas, they do not wish to attain release in a private nirvana of their own. They survey the highly painful world of beings and they want to gain full enlightenment, and they, yet they do not tremble at birth and death. Doers of what are hard, of what is hard, are the bodhisattvas, and they are not, we are not seeking a private nirvana. Makes it pretty clear, right? <laughs> right? So you come to the monastery, and we say, oh, here you are, we have a special private room just for you. <laughs> where you can come and practice and attain your own private nirvana. No need to clean up when you leave. <laughs> and what he's talking about in terms of disciples or Pratyeka Buddhas are the different ways from a Mayana perspective that people can sincerely seek to relieve, alleviate their suffering for themselves. And that makes sense, right? When we suffer, we want that alleviated, rightly. What the teachings are saying is that, rightly though it is, it is limited, it is too small. I was talking earlier this morning about the motivation for something as simple and as important (laughs) as arriving together all throughout the day. You know, these little things, if we can't quite, quite muster to do these little things, how are we going to be a doer of what is hard? And so seeing that a self-centered practice, a self-cherishing liberation, from the Bodhisattva perspective, is neither true practice nor freedom from dukkha. And so the Buddha goes on to say, So it is, Subhuti, doers of what is hard are the bodhisattvas who have set out for the benefit and happiness of the world, out of great empathy for the world, recognizing how painful lives can be, lives are, and yet not trembling at birth and death, not trembling in the face of those realities. Or trembling and still facing. Bring your tremble, if you will. (laughs) 
So the doers of what is hard are the bodhisattvas who are set out, saying, we will become a shelter for the world, a refuge, a place of rest, a final relief, an island, a light and a leader of the world. We will win tremendous or full enlightenment and become the resort of the world. The Buddha says, with these words, bodhisattvas make a vigorous effort to realize Prajnaparamita. And so how? How do we become a shelter for the world? The Buddha says, bodhisattvas protect from all the sufferings which belong to birth and death. They struggle and make efforts to free the world of them. To protect all from the sufferings of the world. That it's not enough just to have insight. This is very important because we're in a culture that really loves our experiences, right? Going after the next big one. The next race, the next climb, the next game, the next position, the next title for an experience that feeds that desire. And then it's gone. And so we can bring that into practice and think if I just have the 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 ultimate big one, right? And just have that experience, because that seems to be out of the cons, right? Question, answer, enlightenment. Story's over. (laughs) Seems very neat. Right? But it's understood that that is just a moment, a single moment, a sliver of a moment that has worlds before and worlds after. This is a practice of the whole Eightfold Path, a whole person practice, a whole life, a whole karma practice. To rid the world, to free the world of all sufferings, to realize and practice and embody the medicine that will bring life and ease to ourselves and others. That's why the Buddha was likened to a physician who was able to recognize what is the, the deepest, most primordial illness. And recognizing that, what is its cause? Recognizing its cause, it can be healed, liberated. And then how? It's like a physician who wants to cure a disease that is widespread, but they have it. They have the disease too. But having taken a vow to heal, they have to heal themselves. And in so doing, they learn something about healing, about the disease, about being ill, before it's healed. But then having done so, how do they enter into the world and don't get sick again? So in the Prajnaparamita Sutra, it says, the Buddha says, they go with, armed with great armor. What is that armor? That armor is, I want to serve countless beings and help them in whatever way I can to nirvana. And yet, I realize that none who need to be led, that there are none who need to to be led to it. There is no being 
No self, no soul, no person. For this is the true nature of all dharmas, of all beings. Their self-nature is empty of self and suffering. And so the armor is at realizing that in dedicating ourselves to serving others and facing the painful world of living beings and trembling at birth and death, that we are not ultimately saving a single person. We are not changing someone from something to something else. We are not doing something that they cannot do for themselves, and in a real sense must. Thus, their wisdom and compassion are inseparable and skillful means. We see that there is suffering, and there seems to be no end to it. Sometimes the cause is direct, a result of our own actions. Sometimes it's the actions of others. In all cases, when suffering appears in my life, in me, it's in me. Now it is, becomes part of my path. That is what we, I bring into the path. When the Buddha said, turn it in, over into full enlightenment, not just the paramitas, but everything that seems to work against the paramitas, not just our enlightenment, but our delusion, that the karma that we feel tethered to or bound by, in a very real sense, are the ways in which we are going to work this out. And the precepts are an essential entry gate and path of that. So said the Buddha, so we realize. Which means we have to become really intimate with all the causes of harm, with the causes of suffering. How would we learn how to bring it to an end, to free ourselves of it, if we don't know its cause? if we can't recognize it when it appears. And so we have to become very familiar with our non-virtuous impulses, thoughts, intentions, as we're cultivating our virtues. We have to become very familiar with all the ways in which we are not turning things over to the path, the ways in which we're not extending ourselves to others. All the things that we want to free ourselves of, we have to become very intimately aware of them, understand them. So the, how do we become the world's refuge? The Buddha says, we set free from birth, decay, illness, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness, despair. All of those beings who are living within those conditions. We all have Buddha nature, and we all have delusion within us. We all have attachments, we have regrets. We have all the stuff of samsara. And in the midst of that, we can feel very alone, right? When we're struggling, we often feel very alone and, and sometimes quite unique in that. 
But we should know that just as we all have Buddha nature, we also all have delusion. And in a certain sense, delusion is not a pejorative or negative. Delusion is just not seeing things clearly. What flows out of delusion is not so great. But delusion itself is having an understanding of the world, having a relationship with all things that is not clear. And so how do we set free from birth and aging and illness and death ourselves and others? And so if we want to be serving others under those conditions, we have to serve ourselves at the same time. And when we are serving others, we see that we are actually being served. Tadaroshi used to say, if you want to save all sentient beings, be prepared to be saved yourself. And so for those with a killing mind, we cultivate an affirmation of life, a cherishing of life, a loving of life. For those with a stealing mind, we cultivate generosity. For those with a misusing sexuality, mind and body, we bring forth loving and respect, love and respect for the whole person, the complete being. For those speaking and acting falsely, we bring forth truthfulness. We embody it. We be that thing, be the medicine. For those clouding and obscuring and turning away, turning away from their natural, clear mind, we manifest a clear and straightforward mind. A mind that is not filled with intrigue and dark corners and secrets and, and you know, it's not a, a spy mind. It's a simple mind. It's an open mind. For those speaking hurtfully of others' shortcomings or mistakes, we affirm perfection, wholeness, dignity. We bring it forth within ourselves. We practice seeing it in others. We have to practice that. We have to practice seeing it in others because sometimes if you just glance, if you just look on the surface, you won't see it. So how do we see beneath the surface. For those blaming others, we have to demonstrate the strength and the courage and the freedom that comes from taking responsibility. You know, I think about that as one of the, you know, there are many, but one of the sort of the signature like signs of our time, blaming, 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 blaming. It's a very childlike. I don't even know if I don't want to put that on children. <laughs> Maybe that's not fair. <laughs> right? <laughs> In that mind, very little is possible. Very little constructive. Anything is possible. And so to show, to see, to know 
the power that comes from taking responsibility, rather than being overwhelmed or crushed or made small or any of the ideas we might have, how freeing it is. That's why we begin with the God of Atonement. For those who are stingy and close-fisted, we demonstrate magnanimity, non-attachment. For those dwelling in righteous anger, we try and show how a person who builds a fire all around them will be consumed by that fire. We may think we can control them, but we can't. And set, made, and lit, the fire is built to burn, and it looks for fuel, and it will spread, and we cannot control that at a certain point. For those who are upset, afraid, frustrated, and want to lash out at someone else, rather than turn towards, they want to burn down their home. The file of the three treasures, we remind ourselves and everyone that we only have one home. We only have one earth, one people, one Buddha, one Dharma, one life. And that in this, as the Buddha said, to not misconstrue enlightenment as any form, at every step along the way, we are being alert to not becoming righteous, to not attaching to the right view. Have the right view, but do not attach to it. Be clear, but do not attach to that clarity. And then how do we become the world's resting place? The Buddha said to demonstrate every dharma as a, as a, as a gesture, an act of non-attachment, not to embrace, cling to anything. And then he said, how do you not embrace? The Buddha said, non-embracing a form, and by form here he means all the skandhas, form, sensation, perception, mental formations, consciousness, all of the parts that we think make up what we think of as ourself. The non-embracing of form is the same as its non-connection, its non-production, its non-stopping. To realize that the state beyond form is empty of form, and yet, being beyond, there is form. That suffering, being free of suffering, being beyond suffering, there is suffering. And so nothing is denied. At the same moment that we practice not clinging to anything. And that's why we have to live a life of awareness, alertness, Meditation. Because the ways in which we can slip or leap into that attachment are many. And really what happens over time, as things become easier and less volatile and clingy, 
is that the ways in which we attach become more subtle. Harder to see. And this is spoken of in many, many teachings. So the Buddha said, to go beyond this discriminating consciousness, which is the basis of our attachment, the Buddha said, this is most hard for the bodhisattvas. They must meditate on all dharmas, but neither realize nor become afraid and meditate in just this way. This acknowledgement that it is difficult Right? Because we are complex beings. I mean, come on. <laughs> right? We're complicated. And we make the world complicated. I mean, kind of that's our Midas touch, right? Everything we touch kind of becomes complicated. <laughs> I mean, if we can sit down and all we have to do is focus on the breath, and that becomes complicated. <laughs> right? I mean, that should be a tip-off from the very first. <laughs> Right? We're in for it. (laughs) And this acknowledgement, I think, should be comforting. Right? It's not just you. It's not just that you're like ill-equipped, ill-suited, (laughs) ill-Buddhaed. Right? This is a very old sutra. When these teachings are offered over and over again, it's because they need to be heard over and over again. And then they have needed to be heard all throughout time. It's not just us. It's not just our time. And it is just us and our time. Because we are here. And so to be one with the Buddha and raise Bodhi-mind to be one with the Dharma, and really enter into the sutras. Make the sutra your body, your mind, your voice. Being one with the Sangha to lead the people. What is the most powerful way we can demonstrate, be, offer, lead, be the thing itself? That speaks truth. When we see that in somebody, we trust it. Right? Words, words are good, words are powerful, but they're slippery. But being the thing itself takes care of you because you are that now, and it takes care of others. And that the Bodhisattva understands that all of this, these vows, are not expressions of control. The reason it's hard is because people are complicated. And people who are ill don't want to take medicine. People who are unhappy don't necessarily want happiness. Habits are tough. We should know that. If you don't know that yet, stick around. And so when we see those in other people, we should nod, yes, I know, 
I know what it's like to give up, to want to give up on the world, to give up on oneself, to think that there is nothing redeemable, to think that hatred is appropriate or love, to think that confusion is clarity. If we haven't tasted our own experiences of that, look a little closer. We will become a shelter for the world, a refuge, a place of rest, a relief, an island, a light. We will put everything all of the work that we're doing, all of the karma that we're creating, the positive things that we're bringing forth in our own lives, we will bring them over into full enlightenment, into the path. Because then, they're there for everyone. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.